and welcome to Ox Talks. I'm your host, Chris Oxley. And I invite you to follow me on an ever-evolving journey through the fascinating realms of psychology, leadership, and neuroscience. While this podcast was originally crafted to cater to those navigating the intricate world of wealth management and private banking, I now view it as a personal odyssey, a chronicle of my captivating conversations with these particularly intriguing individuals. Together we'll unearth profound insights and priceless wisdom, igniting fresh passions that will drive growth and development in both our professional and personal lives. Inspired by the sheer wealth of knowledge and charisma in this field, my mission is to shine a spotlight on the curiously interesting individuals I'm privileged to encounter. And so I extend a warm welcome to all who share an interest in these subjects. To describe myself a little bit, I'm an organizational consultant and psychologist. I work in talent management at the same time, and I specialize in expats and supporting expats in their move abroad and move back home once they return to the UK. I can tell you a little bit more about kind of where I started off on this expat trail, um, if that would be worthwhile, Chris. Yeah, definitely do. And also, you know, your experiences and 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 a bit more about your previous work and what's led you to to where you are today. And, you know, also just having that focus on on on, on how you support individuals who are moving abroad and, you know, how, how you've landed in that area would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, if I'm turning back the time, uh, I, I, you know, just sort of a, a young 20 year old um, coming out of university, that's kind of when I first started going abroad. And I did the classic thing of going backpacking in Southeast Asia and then went on to Australia. And, and once I come back from that trip, I fell in love with the idea of traveling. And that's when I started looking at work opportunities to, to move abroad. So I ended up going uh, to do English teaching. That was the, the thing that sort of stuck out to me as the obvious opportunity. So originally I started in Thailand and then went on to South Korea and to China. And uh, at this point I was planning on just doing one year in each place and, you know, just bouncing around for a little while. But for some reason I got stuck on China. I don't know what it was that sort of uh, caught me about that country and the culture, but so I got sort of sucked in. And uh, yeah, six years later, I was still there. I came back to the UK last year, but I was still working between the UK and Asia. So I was kind of working in the best of both worlds. And even after that, I thought I was going to sort of settle back in the UK. But there's something to becoming an expat. It, um, it's hard to kind of re- re- relocate back to the UK. Maybe this is something we'll talk about. But I ended up coming out to Abu Dhabi about four weeks ago. So I'm now working out here and supporting employability services. I guess, yeah, in terms of kind of how I've gone from teaching into what I'm doing now, I guess the transition started taking place in China. And I was working with the British Chamber out there and starting to study psychology at the same time. So I was studying organizational psychology, how to make work better for people, how to make organizations more effective. And then fast forward onto where I'm at now, I also founded my own consultancy that supports expats specifically. You know, basically an experience that I'd had. I thought they were a group in need of, of extra support, especially, you know, coming to another country. I think it is a challenge that, that needs to be supported more. And then, and then working there, you know, finding the work or at least establishing yourself in the company that you've come out to work for is a big challenge. So that's something that I'm doing now is, is uh, you know, focusing around helping that individual in their career and also helping international teams because that's what we're getting in the globalized world today. A lot of international teams working together and finding ways to support them is, is something that I'm doing. Amazing, amazing. So just to dive straight in, what are some of the most common psychological challenges that individuals face when they're you know, relocating abroad for work? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, yesterday I posted something on LinkedIn and it kind of um, sh- uh, represents this U-curve of the, the the culture shock that you're likely to face when you go abroad. And I think it varies to the different degrees of, of it, depending on the culture you're going to and how different it is from the, the one that, that you're used to. But essentially, it goes through these four stages. So you've got this honeymoon phase, which is kind of where everything is new. You're enjoying the, like, the new foods, enjoying seeing new places. Everything's quite original. And then that kind of slowly declines into kind of what the, is called the anxiety stage or where you're really finding things difficult. You know, you start to realize that you're actually living in that place now. So you've got to get used to it, you know, on a long-term basis. And that can throw up a lot of challenges. I think during that period, that's also a period where you might face a lot of isolation and loneliness, especially if you've come on your own. So that's one of the biggest psychological battles is it's not having that support network. You kind of took for granted before you went away, and now it's not there, and you, it's just you in the world, basically. But after a while, you get to this adjustment phase where you're kind of sort of slowly working things out. You know, you've made some friends. Things are becoming a lot easier, starting to pick up. You know, what apps you need to be using, that kind of thing. Then you get to that acceptance stage where you've kind of embraced the, the new culture. And I think at that point, it's really kind of a, devi- a defining moment because you, you've kind of accepted the new culture, and you're starting to be able to understand it to the point where, you know, you're able to con- contrast it with the culture you came from a lot more. And for me, that that created this whole new kind of understanding myself, identity, not to go on that kind of tangent too much, but it kind of was quite a defining moment is when you start to, to really understand that new culture and then you can sort of compare it against your own culture. But there's other, you know, difficulties that you can face. But that anxiety period is something that that's, uh, that can be a struggle. And I think that's where the support needs to be provided either by your organization or friends or family or uh, different aspects. But um, yeah, that, that's kind of my, my take on the psychological challenges. Yeah, no, interesting. So in terms of, uh, you mentioned their cultural adjustment, do you find that that can impact an individual's essential performance at work, just getting to know that? new? Do, do you find that there's let's say the first three months could be just super challenging or is it the reverse way where people are energized at the beginning everything's new like you say so the first three to six months tend to be like a real progress point but then after that when reality hits and every day is the same and it's like oh actually i haven't got family that's close to me best friends that are close to me and then there's a bit of a dip there is that am i getting am i on the right sort of lines there is that common or where are we yeah well i think the the big thing is it might vary from organization to organization the, the, yeah, there'll be like subtle nuances between what type of organization it is, what experience you've had prior to going to that organization. You know, if I, I kind of like to tell an anecdote, when I first became a teacher, that was a real big challenge because I'd never done it before. So, you know, having to stand up and present in front of and the students was it was a quite a daunting experience. And I guess part of that kind of challenge was was kind of enlarged because of that lack of experience I had. It wasn't just challenge professionally, but then, you know, kind of when you're finishing work and wanting support, you know, you're you're needing it more, especially when you're a first-time employee. In terms of the the financial aspects, that, that can be another thing that, that might support you in, in terms of them in the first few weeks, because it does get quite expensive quite quickly in terms of having to put down money for deposits on, on apartments, having to actually pay for the first few months in the apartments, having to buy furniture, which has been the case for me whilst, when, when I've come to Abu Dhabi. So that can be a real sort of strain, uh, especially when you're first coming. And then again, it depends on the other colleagues that you're around. If you've got colleagues that have been through this and, and, and can support you as best as possible, then that, that really helps ease the kind of challenges with that. 
if you're talking to businesses and there's strategies that you implement, are there any simple strategies that could help accelerate that cultural adaption, if you like? Yeah, I think I mean, the biggest thing is are, are the support systems, I think. And I think it starts actually before that individual comes to the country. And there's a lot of businesses that I'm, I know are good at this. You know, they start off in terms of seeing where that individual is coming from, trying to think about what are the challenges they're likely to face before they come to the new culture, kind of prepping them ahead of time, providing logistical supports, anything from kind of telling more about the role to actually supporting with a family who might have children that need to find schools and providing all this information. And I think that the earlier in that process that, you know, organizations can support their expats, the, the better for kind of that overcoming the challenges quicker. I think the other thing is sometimes having colleagues that are from your culture. So people from the UK were able to sort of help me a little bit more and kind of reason with the things that I might struggle with a lot more. Sort of taking somebody who's already in the organization, preferably somebody who's very similar in terms of either culture or gender or age can really relate to that, that new employee that's coming on board. And that, that's kind of almost like a, a mentoring aspect or at least a friend that you can support and, and have when you've entered the new country. And they're sort of a sounding board. They've been through the process. They know what you're feeling. They're someone who can really kind of empathize with the challenges that you're facing. And so having someone like that can be really, really beneficial in terms of adapting to the new culture quite quickly. What it does require, though, I guess, is some level of training because it's not always easy to force somebody to become a buddy, if that makes sense. And and the level of training is someone who can sort of listen and empathize and reflect a little bit on themselves on how they felt in that newcomer's situation is, is important. Because if you get somebody who's a bit too directive or, or sort of telling somebody what they should be doing, it's not really empathizing as much as possible. So I think there needs to be a level of training there for that buddy. But yeah, it's a really effective way of helping somebody sort of speed through that cultural adaption. Yeah, sure. And then with, with that, just sticking with the, the buddying system, because I think that's that's quite interesting. And I can imagine that's a huge help for anybody that's moving moving abroad. So is there, do businesses that are abroad, we'll, we'll take UAE if you like, are companies out there training up buddies? Is this something that they're very aware of if they're looking to bring expats across? Is this quite a normal thing? I think it depends on the organization and it often depends on the resources they have. Of course, if they're sort of slightly smaller or a bit more startup, it becomes a little bit more difficult. I think for the global firms, you're the ones that got much more resources, they're probably able to invest in this a a bit more. So it is a kind of battle for resources at at that point and who's there to kind of train the buddies and what they should be doing as well. Because you could sort of effectively putting a buddy system, but without much training ahead of that, then they could be quite ineffective and maybe even putting two people together that don't really get along. And then that kind of reverses the effect that you're trying to put out there. So I'd say, yeah, it, it just depends on the, the organization and what resources they they would have, I'd say. Okay. Okay. So when we're looking, we're going back and we, we've got somebody who's moving abroad for professional reasons, typically that individual, what, what's motivating them to do that? Did you find there's a particular type of individual that, that wants to experience that way of life or or is it just because certain opportunities come along? How, how does that work in your experience? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting one. I, I think I've met so many people from different walks of life on the road and there's so many things that motivate them. You know, the, you've got the classic example of people sort of wanting to seize life and, and have that experience abroad. I think 
some people take to it a lot easier than others, I would say. I think there's a personality aspect to that. You know, people are a bit more open to to wanting to travel to new experiences. They're a bit more sort of kind of wanting to do that, a bit more uh, ambitious with that type of thing. But then there's a lot of people that are just wanting to do something different, you know, with their lives. And they found an opportunity to, to go and do that. So they, they kind of take that. I think, you know, this time around for me, it was an opportunity that was sort of too good to turn down. And I hadn't really been looking for it. It kind of found me. And so that's another reason why people end up on the road. I think what I've started to find, especially here in the Middle East, is you get a lot of people that have been on the road for some time. And I've kind of fallen, my, fallen into that group as well. And I think it's not necessarily always planned. It's just the kind of, it's just kind of how, how things have turned out. And, and, and again, going back to that fact that it's quite hard to go back once you've, once you've gone abroad. So struggling to kind of re-acculturate into your own culture can force you back out again. So we'll pick up on, you, you mentioned earlier as well, around six years in China. Did, did you go there and, and you didn't know anybody? What was, when, when you went there, what was your situation? Yeah, it was a strange one. So, I mean, that's actually where I started studying psychology. So I started studying psychology distance from a UK university and I needed a way to sort of fund it, but at the same time kind of live this lifestyle that I'd been used to in, in South Korea, which was, you know, this uh, kind of international travel type thing. So I wanted to still travel studying and also pay for it. The place that kind of came on the list in terms of, uh, you know, financially, financially allowing me to do that was, was China. And I, I didn't plan it much, you know, looking back now, I didn't really think about it uh, too much. I think that's one of the big things, you know, once you've been away, it becomes less of a big deal. Certainly when I went to South Korea, that was a huge deal for me. This time I was a bit, bit blase about it. So it kind of shot around with kind of the, the flights, you know, all of a sudden I was in the airport going over to China and, and I didn't know anybody. I, I didn't have any, I, I knew one person actually, I, I tell a lie, I, I knew one person, but I hadn't seen him for several years. So it wasn't somebody that I could sort of pick up the phone to and say, hey, how's, how's things going? It was, yeah, it was only when I got out there was I able to catch up with him. So yeah, getting out there to, to China was, was a really big shock to the system, I think. I think, again, because I'd been to Korea, it was, it was going to be easy. You know, I'd already done it in Asia. And I think China, with it being so culturally sort of different to the UK, it, it was a real big task. And, and I went through that same bell curve, but the I remember the culture shock there was quite, quite shocking, you know, just not just sort of mentally, but physically. I remember just kind of like thinking to myself, you know, what, what have I done here? Because it, there's also that reputational aspects, you know, when you go abroad, they don't, there's not an expectation you're going to be back in two weeks. You're there for the year. So if you come back, you feel like you've failed in some way. And I think that's what sort of motivates you to stay out there and sort of proceed through these challenges. As I say, like the language barriers in, in China are a lot more difficult to kind of deal with versus when I went to South Korea, you know, like a lot of people didn't speak English. So, you know, I trying to uh, buy something to eat was, it was a difficult process, you know, trying to find somewhere to live was a difficult, everything was just quite difficult. But having said that, obviously I spent uh, six, six years there. So day by day, you know, meeting different people. And, and again, a lot of Brits that I'd met out there were quite supportive and kind of understood where I'd come from. And kind of like nourished me to to the point where I was able to sustain myself, and then then you start to really enjoy the the, the place, and you're meeting nationalities, you know, different people from different walks of life you never thought you'd meet, and that's what that's what becomes the addictive aspect. I think that's what really keeps you wanting to be an expat or wanting to go abroad again. But yeah, certainly if you can meet somebody before you go out there, I think that would be a lot easier than just just going out there sort of cold turkey. 
trying to work it out for yourself. So that's that's a key piece of advice I'd give anybody. Yeah, well, it sounds it certainly sounds like social support networking is critical. But what would so if we take Nathan, the budding young English teacher, and now the Nathan, the business psychologist, what would Nathan, the business psychologist, have done differently that the Nathan, the the English teacher, didn't do in going to China? What would there have been some key aspects for a lot with the knowledge that you have now, your experience of an expert, what you did that time, the first time round? So we're thinking about right somebody who's new to this experience they're going they're going on their expect journey what would you say right okay what would i have done differently effectively i mean i always try and live by the cliche that i don't have any regrets but i think there are there are things that you can learn from from situations and certainly that situation i I can learn a lot from i think the naivety kind of helps you in a way almost because you kind of just sort of a bit aimless in 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 kind of you're a bit more free you don't pressure yourself into doing much you're just kind of like going along with the flow and that actually helps in certain way to, to that sort of stressful situation that might that might be more stress inducing now now that i've been to different countries actually and i'm a bit more organized uh in, in the way i operate but yeah having having said that if i went back to kind of that moment certainly doing a bit more research ahead of time there's only so much research you can do i think you can over research because until you actually get there you, you don't know what it's exactly going to be like and i think there's all this kind of news that you might find on different websites about, you know, cultural differences and how you should, how you should greet other people and this kind of thing. But until you get out there, you know, all of that's kind of by the, by the by, I think financially, and this might speak to your audience is, is just preparing a little bit more financially, because when I went out there, because I just sort of bought this master's program, you know, I was already a bit skint, so I didn't have anywhere to kind of, um, live straight off when I was when I was there. So I was in a hotel just kind of short term. But that was all because I hadn't prepared financially for it. And and certain countries, you know, require certain levels of payment, especially for the apartments. Uh, I didn't realize in China it was almost five months of rent that you needed. Just knowing that ahead of time, I mean the cost of living is much cheaper out there than it was in the UK, but it just took a bit of time to to earn that money so that I could actually put that five months down. And obviously I'm still paying the masses off at the same time. So it was Something I wish I prepared for a bit better. And I think, you know, looking back, that would have helped, you know, settle quicker. I think this time, you know, coming to Abu Dhabi was in a different walk of life than I was then, but I've been able to settle a lot quicker because I've got myself an apartment and I've got furniture. And you can kind of then get yourself out and about. Once you've got your kind of safe zone in a way, you've got your house to come back to, then, you know, you can start to go out there and meet new people and stuff like that. But when you're living out of a bag, which is effectively what I was doing, at the start of the time in China, it was a lot more challenging. This might not be a question for you. I'm not sure if this is your area of expertise as such, but in in, in a lot of cases as well, it could just be one partner of a, of a couple that go. And I wonder whether you can shed some light on potential difficulties that that might incur on on, on relationships and and potentially what um, I don't know some some systems that might help with that or, or what you commonly see. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been doing a kind of long distance relationship for a while. And um, I know a lot of people that have been as well, you know, some of my colleagues now, they, they have similar situations. And it's not easy, right? It's not it's not the ideal situation. Well, I'd say most couples, I don't know about everybody, but I'd say most people obviously want to be there together. And I think from, from experience and also from, you know, the, the clients I've worked with, just ensuring that you've got that kind of set level of contact, you regularly contacting them at certain times of the day you're not missing calls you're, you're finding that time for each other especially you know yesterday being valentine's day I, you know 
making that a priority. And I think you know, a lot of people need to sort of recognize these special dates and try and make something of it. You know, if it's a virtual date, setting that up. And obviously, it's not the best. It's not going to be the best thing, but it's 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 in some ways the next best thing. And and finding times, you know, finding a, a way to plan ahead, so knowing exactly when you're going to see each other next. I think just having that date ahead can can give you something to look forward to, and just keep you kind of ticking along in in a sense that you, you you're both expecting to see each other at some point in the future. If that's not there, then it makes it really really difficult. But I think that's yeah, that's the best thing I've seen in terms of. Uh, long distance relationships and helping that to, to progress. But I think it's quite common. I think that's the other thing. I think a lot of people might just see themselves as being the only couple that are in this situation, whereas there's actually a lot of people doing it, especially in the, again, digitalized world of, of, of people using technology to have relationships. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, that makes sense there. And I like that you mentioned there around setting dates around when you're actually going to see each other again. I suspect that can really build up anticipation and and, and help secure that, help secure the relationship in, in many ways. Yeah. And I think that goes not just for, you know, your romantic partner, but, you know, your family as well. I think having that date set set in stone, like, you know, you're going back, you kind of it really makes things a lot easier. I think, you know, speaking from my own experience, I was in China during the pandemic and we weren't sort of able to leave at certain points of the year. That became quite stressful, you know, not knowing when you can come back to see your family and friends. Yeah, really plays mind tricks with you because I think everyone has appreciated at any point in time you are able to go back home. But knowing when that option closes off, you start to see things in slightly different ways. And I know, for instance, a lot of expats left China during the pandemic, not just China, but I'm sure a lot of countries lost a lot of expats. Everybody had to get closer to home because that's that was the, the needs of the situation. So I think that that proves testament to the point that you know having that scheduled date ahead of time really just helps ease your kind of anxiety, you know, in a new culture, but just makes you feel a bit more um, satisfied, you know, knowing that you're going to go home at, at some point. Yeah, sure, no, and that makes sense. And again, and I'm going to rewind you a little bit back and, and focus on this this social aspect as well let's, let's just take a, a hypothetical scenario that somebody's moved abroad the internal hr culture if you like hasn't supported them too well in terms of or actually the business or the person that they've been buddied up with hasn't been too reciprocal in terms of helping them and somebody's stuck they're two weeks in they're they're, they're lonely you know this is all starting to kick in there's a bit of depression suddenly kicking they're not getting any social interaction as a psychologist who specialises in this market, what 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 could be some simple steps steps to help them get on their way and start and start interacting socially? Is it you know? And I'm talking about the things like looking at Facebook network groups, but is there other bits and pieces that they can look at? Where would be a good start? Yeah, it's a great question, and I, I think it's quite a common thing actually. I, I don't think you get sold the dream sometimes. And then when you get out there, this happens, you know, very, very quickly, you realize a sudden shock, you know, you're not on holiday, you actually come there to live. You start to realize, you know, what am I going to do to, to put these practices into place? I think, yeah, you just sort of going back to kind of, when I think about health, I just think about the sociological aspects, you know, the mental ones and the biological ones, you know, going to the gym and exercising is obviously going to make you sort of feel physically healthier and you can sort of be more resilient in terms of battling with some of these challenges, uh, you know, if you're feeling sick, unhealthy, or, you know, tired from the jet lag, you know, if you've not had enough sleep, or you're, you're still not caught up on the sleep from the jet lag, you know, this is going to sort of weigh in and everything else. So I think sort of fixing some of these aspects, you know, trying to get some 
good good food as well, which is not always easy. I mean, going back to that story I told, you know, like going to a restaurant and not being able to order food and not knowing what the food was when you got it sort of provided to you is a challenge. So trying to find that, I find out quite quickly. I, I, I lived off like Starbucks sandwiches for the first couple of weeks, you know, it's fine because I just didn't know where anything else was. So yeah, it's kind of overcoming that and, and sort of fixating that as, as quickly as possible. I think obviously sociologically, we've talked about this quite a bit, but there are finding the networks, you know, in, in, the, in your company, out of your company. There's different resources, you know, things like uh, Meetup is a good app that, that's kind of universal as far as I know. It's, it's one that works in every country and they've got lots of different groups you can get involved with. I think one of the best things about coming to a new culture is, is learning different cultural skills. You know, maybe it's painting in the, in the local way, uh, calligraphy, you know, dancing, this kind of thing. So trying to find these different social groups can help you. Yeah, internally, you've obviously got these these aspects around buddy systems or finding other people in your network. I, I, one of the things I'd recommend is, is is stuff like the British Chamber, you know, so networks that's associated to your culture. So I met a lot of Brits from the British network, British Chamber of Commerce that, that kind of, again, could empathize with my situation as a Brit coming to that specific culture. I think that was really helpful. You get to go to these different events. From a mental capacity, you know, just trying to sort of give yourself that patience and that time can really, really be helpful. I think what's interesting about this situation, this not to market myself and what I do, but I think sometimes inside your company, not everybody can sort of empathize with that experience you're going through. And having a, someone who's like an external consultant that you can speak with, who's got that external perspective, who can also en- empathize with that situation you've gone through can be really, really helpful. So having someone like a coach that can uh, meet with you, you know, once a week or once a month, just to talk about the challenges you're facing either at work or, you know, aside from work can be a really good idea. You mentioned there in terms of um, consultancy for businesses to help in their employees. And can you just give us a, a bit of a quick overview if, if this, if there was an employer looking to support their employees that are coming across, just might, what, what that might look like? Yeah. So if, if an employer is looking to support their employee that might be coming across, again, it starts from when they in their home country, you know, so not just starting when they've landed in the in the new country. It starts with that preparation phase, getting them ready, getting them accustomed to what to expect, answering their questions as much as possible. You're just keeping close ties with them. I think the worst thing you can do is kind of leave that gap period where the breeze is being processed and you're not regularly checking in with the person because that's when they're they're mentally preparing for it. You know, they're saying goodbye to to friends and family. Uh, and and if you're as a, an organization and not sort of keeping in contact, then, then it really doesn't look well on them. And I think that's an important thing that the better you do that process, the more likely you're going to have the support of the employee when they arrive in the company. They're going to be more engaged if they know they've been supported from the start. If they know that you've got their back. They're going to, you know, really perform a lot more than if you just sort of do everything last minute and get them out there. And then they kind of feel a bit like they've not being cheated or conned, but just just feel a bit left out of the, the situation. So yeah, yeah, starting things ahead, early as possible is important. And then obviously when they arrive is is just kind of making sure that there's some support there for the logistical, logistical aspects through to if they need a gym, help them find a gym. If they need some social support, help them do that. There's different, yeah, different aspects. But I think starting as early as possible is the, the best thing to do. And I think one of the key things that, that again, going back to something I mentioned earlier, once they've repatriated, the the process should continue. And I think that's often where it stops. I mean, there's a sort of 
if they're staying in the same company, there's more benefit to supporting repatriation. But I think it's everyone's duty of care just to make sure that if your employee is leaving your organization, still to support them as they leave and as they go back to their own country, because that's the reputational aspects. They might tell someone, oh, it's a really good company I work for. They even helped me on the way back here, back back home again. That will really have good knock-on effects for your company brand. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. So look, we've, we've talked a lot about all the different areas here, but just, just finally, is there any personal reflections or, or final bits of advice that you might give people that are, you know, we can look at both sides of the fence, either looking to, to do the journey and, and become an expat or are currently an expat? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just through going through this conversation, I realized support was the, the big sort of buzzword I was using, not, not really planning to use it that often, but I now realize reflecting on it that that's been the biggest thing that's helped me through this whole process is just is just having people around to to give you that that sense of belonging, that sense of some sort of people that you can rely on, and and again, I think it goes back to that that people that are close and can re- relate to you quite well is 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 really important. So I think that can come from either internally inside the organisation, or you have to be proactive and find it externally as well. But I think yeah, the support is, is a big factor in in the success of your expatriation process. So just finding that support and and learning to to kind of nourish it as best as possible will be really really important. So I think that's the biggest thing that I've got from this conversation with you, Chris. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on today and uh, sharing your experiences and some great knowledge there and some advice for people who are either on or, or about to go on this journey. We'll definitely put a link out so that individuals who who have further questions around your expertise can can get in touch with you directly. And um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. No, I appreciate it, Chris. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Ox Talks. It's an absolute privilege to explore the fascinating intersection of these fields with our incredible guests. And if you found inspiration in our conversation, I encourage you to not only subscribe to Ox Talks on your preferred podcast platform, but also to seek out and follow our guests too. Anticipation is already building for our next guest, and I sincerely hope you'll join us for the upcoming episode of Ox Talks. Thank you for being a part of the Ox Talks family, and we can't wait to have you with us again soon. Thank you.